Good uh, evening, dear, dear friends. Welcome to uh, the retreat, uh, Healing Oneself, Healing the World. We know that uh, uh, a healing environment is very important for all of us because uh, with a, without a healing environment, uh, the healing cannot take place uh, easily and quickly. That is why uh, it's very important to create a healing environment. And uh, not only a physical environment, but also a spiritual environment. When we uh, produce a thought full of uh, anger, despair. That thought is uh, very destructive. It does not help with the healing at all. It begins to harm our body, our mind, and harm the world. So we should learn how to produce a thought that is full of compassion and understanding. As soon as we produce a thought of understanding and compassion, that thought begins to heal us and heal the world. And that is what a practitioner uh, should do. But there is a way to produce uh, a thought of uh, understanding and compassion that we have to learn. And when uh, 100 people 500 people practice generating together the energy of uh, compassion and understanding. The collective uh, energy of healing is very powerful. That is why not only we need a physical uh, environment conducive to healing, but we need also a spiritual um, environment that can help uh, uh, the healing, with the healing. When you build a Sangha, when you build a practice center, you create such a place. Not only the, the, the physical environment is uh, good, is helping with the healing, but the spiritual uh, environment is good because uh, all those who stay in the practice center, they practice uh, walking meditation, sitting meditation, uh, mindfulness in their daily life, and they uh, together they create a very uh, a powerful uh, a collective uh, energy of mindfulness, of peace, of compassion that can help uh, very much with the healing. And when we come to such a practice center, and if we know how to walk, how to breathe uh, mindfully, we contribute to making, producing that kind of uh, collective energy of mindfulness, peace, and uh, compassion and joy. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had uh, two days of practice and learning with uh, 
the School of Medicine, um, uh, Harvard University. And I had a chance to, uh, to tell doctors and others that uh, in the hospital, in the clinic, they should try to create uh, a collective uh, energy of uh, mindfulness and compassion so that to help uh, patients in the hospital, in the clinics, uh, heal more quickly. If doctors, nurses, and other employees of the, of, uh, the hospital, of the clinic, knows how to do walking meditation, how to breathe mindfully, how to smile, how to generate the energy of compassion, they create such an environment that can help uh, patients to heal, to heal much more quickly. And I propose that to uh, doctors, psychologists, and others who are, who are present at the, the Day of Mindfulness. I said that uh, psychotherapists, they should also organize so that they have a sangha. Because uh, alone, she or he cannot, uh, cannot uh, help uh, the healing very quickly and the psychotherapist could need uh, a sangha with her, with him, uh, in order to, uh, to, to help uh, with the healing of uh, patients. So everyone was invited to reflect on the subject of how to create a sangha, an environment that can be conducive to healing. And the, tra the Buddhist tradition begins with uh, contemplating uh, dukkha. Dukkha means well, uh, ill being, which is uh, suffering. When you have the time to look into suffering, to listen to your own suffering, and to look at the suffering of the other person, we have a chance to, to, to allow understanding and compassion to be born. When you look uh, at one person, and if you look uh, deeply with mindfulness, you, may, you will recognize the suffering in that person. And if you continue, you can see how that suffering has come to him or to her. You are cont contemplating the first noble truth and the second noble truth, ill-being and the roots of ill-being. And when you see the suffering of the other person and you understand it, compassion in you arises. And the energy of compassion has the, has the power to heal. You are not angry at him or her anymore. You are healed because you understand, you have understood the suffering of the other person. You don't want to punish that person anymore. Instead, you want to do something, uh, to say something in order to help him or her suffer less. It means compassion is already born. And that is because you have touched suffering and you have uh, listened to suffering, you have understood the suffering. The same thing is true when we go home to ourselves, 
and listen to our own suffering. Because once we understand our own suffering, it's much easier to understand the suffering of another person. The suffering inside of us carries within itself the suffering of our father, of our mother, of our ancestors. And if we understand our own suffering, we understand the suffering of our father, our mother, our ancestors. The suffering in us also reflects the suffering of uh, our nation, our society, the world. And if we understand our own suffering, we will understand the suffering of the other person much more easily. And we can look at him or her with the eyes of compassion. That they go help him or her to heal. So the, tonight, uh, to begin our retreat, uh, the monks and the nuns will practice chanting. And the chanting is to touch the suffering inside of them and the suffering around them. In uh, Mahayana Buddhism, we speak of one uh, great being called uh, Avalokiteshvara, Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of compassionate listening. That is a person who had suffered, but who knew how to listen to his own suffering and came to understand it. And that is why he overcame uh, suffering and he was able to listen to other people and help them to suffer less. His name is Avalokita, the one who listens with compassion to the suffering of the world. So when the monks and the nuns chant the name for the first time, they go home to themselves and try to get in touch with the suffering inside of them. And the purpose is simple, clear, to allow the energy of compassion to be born. Because compassion can heal, heal us and help heal the other person, the world. And when they chant the name for the second time, they reached out and tried to see the suffering in the people in front of them. On their left, on their right, behind them. Because everyone has suffering inside. And the purpose is uh, the same, to allow compassion to be born and grow. And when they chant the name for the third time, they reach out and touch the suffering a little bit in the world, everywhere. Violence, death, war, hunger, social injustice, and so on. And the purpose is the same, to allow compassion to be born and to heal. And when we listen to the chanting, we might help uh, create uh, the collective energy of mindfulness. Mindfulness of chanting, mindfulness of uh, compassion, 
and mindfulness of listening. There is a tension in our body. There is a pain in our body. And if we allow ourselves to be in the zone of the collective energy, and then the collective energy can penetrate into our body and help release the tension. And we feel better after a few minutes of uh, practice. But that happens only when we allow ourselves to be in the zone of the collective energy of mindfulness and compassion. That is why we should know how to stop our thinking during the time we listen. Because the thinking always uh, takes us away from the here and the now. And we are no longer in the zone of the collective energy of healing. And to stop the thinking is something everyone can do. Just follow our in-breath, focus our attention on our in-breath and our breath. And if you are truly mindful of your in-breath, concentrated on your in-breath and out-breath, and then the thinking thinking will stop naturally. You don't have to force yourself to stop the thinking because your mind has only one object at a time. And that object of the mind is uh, your mindful breathing or the same thing together. If uh, we have uh, some fear, some uh, anger, some despair in our heart, it's time for us to open our heart and allow the collective energy of mindfulness and compassion to penetrate, to help our whole embrace it. It's like a mother holding her baby tenderly The mother does not know yet the cause of the suffering of the baby, but the fact that she is holding the baby tenderly will help uh, already help the baby to suffer less. Maybe we have not understood our own uh, anger, our own uh, despair and suffering, but the fact if we allow our uh, pain, our sorrow to be embraced by the collective energy of mindfulness and compassion generated by the chanting, and then we will suffer less after a number of uh, minutes. We practice like a drop of water in the heart of a river. A drop of water allows herself to be embraced by the river and transported by the river. No resistance. We do the same. We sit in the Sangha, we say, Dear Sangha, dear brothers and sisters in the practice, he is my pain, he is my sorrow, he is my despair, because I am new, I am new in the practice. That is why my mindfulness is not uh, strong enough to embrace my pain, my sorrow, my despair. So please help uh, embrace it with me. And we open our heart and allow the collective energy of mindfulness and compassion generated by the chanting and the breathing to, to recognize and embrace tenderly the block of uh, understanding, and the block of fear, the block of uh, sorrow and despair in us. And we feel better.
and this energy can be channeled to the person at home who suffers. If you have a member of the family who cannot come to the retreat, who suffers this moment at home or in the hospital, you may very well send this energy to him or to her. Tonight, just by thinking of that person or calling his or her name silently. And this uh, wholesome energy will channel to that person tonight. So let us uh, allow ourselves to be in the here and the now. Follow our in-breath and out-breath. Stop our thinking and let the collective energy of the Sangha to hold us and to heal us. During the chanting, during the chanting, some of us may may want to cry. It's okay to cry. But uh, always remember to follow our in-breath and our breath.
Brother Fab Jung uh, and Sugo uh, Nagnyam. Uh, tonight, uh, through Dharma teachers, uh, I'm going to uh, offer you some instructions as how to enjoy our time together in the retreat. Brother Fab Jung had been an architect before becoming a monk and Sister Dangyam, a physician, before she became a nun. I see you tomorrow for setting meditation. Let us sit up beautifully, stable as mountains, with our back upright, relaxed, our shoulders open, our arms relaxed alongside of our body. Your hands can hold gently one another and smile. It's a happy moment, we're here together. Everything is still here. Nothing is lost. Let us breathe with the bell.
Respected Thai, dear brothers and sisters, dear noble community, we're very happy that you're here. This retreat has the theme, healing ourselves, healing the world. This is a very important topic to me, and I believe that it is very important to all of us. What does it mean to heal? In the Buddhist teachings on true love, there are four elements of true love. And the second one is karuna, which has been translated as compassion. But the actual meaning of the word karuna in Sanskrit, it actually, it actually means to remove suffering to remove suffering in oneself, to remove suffering in others. So karuna means to heal because when we remove darkness, there's light, right? So when we remove suffering, there's healing. So to practice to heal oneself, is actually to practice true love. And to practice to heal the world is to practice true love. And what does it make oneself? What are us? What makes up us? We learn that a person is made up of the five aggregates or the five composites or the five scandals, the different terminology for the same thing, which include the body, the feelings, the perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness. I'm sure our teacher will go more in depth, but I just introduced to you the idea, okay? Before I go on further, I would like to introduce to you one of my very good friends is a bean. <laughs> and I'll draw on the board for you. It has an oblong shape and then it divides more or less into two halves. And on one side, it's all black. And on the other side, it's all white. And on the black side, guess what? There's a white dot. And then on the white side, there's a black dot. And sometimes there are two black dots or more, but usually it's like that. And this can be a really good example, simple example for the teaching of the Buddha, which is called interbeing. Okay. 
It can be also just intervene. <laughs> so what makes it intervene and what makes it interbeing? So in the teaching of interbeing, in the black there is white. In this there is that. And in the white, there is the black. In that, there is this. In suffering, there is happiness. And in the happiness, there is suffering. In ill-being, in illness, there is healing. And in healing, there's also the root of sickness as well. I think it's important that we remember this. When we are young or when we are healthy, we think I'm well. Yeah, there's no sickness in me, but that's not true. It's taking place. Aging is taking place. Sickness is taking place. Death is taking place every moment. It's all in there, but we don't see it. Just like a wave. A wave. We usually see a wave only when it's at its peak, or when it has crashed down at the trough. We don't usually see the wave when it's here. So when a tumor is diagnosed, when we see it as how two centimeters, but it has been there a long time before that. Sometimes one year or five years, ten years, even fifteen years. As a cell mutation. Much further, and then it has taken place like that. So, as practitioners, we learn to see the wave much earlier, to become aware of a wave of the body when how we manifest our body in sickness or in health. We learn to see that it has taken place a long time ago, or when a wave of anger. When you feel anger in your body and the face is really hot, or the hands make into a fist like this, or our heart beats fast, but you know anger does not take place only in that moment, but it has built up a long time before that through our own feelings and perceptions and attitudes, through our own past experiences, and something that is said now, it triggers. That seed of anger in us, and it manifests, but it does not happen only in that moment. So, as a practitioner, we learn to be aware of the wave much earlier, when it's just a single thought, when it's just a sound or a sight or a smell or a taste or a touch, when we are in contact with it, and we see right away there is a reaction. In the body, or in the thoughts, or in the feelings, and we are aware of that. And as we train ourselves to be more aware of what's going on in our body, we will become more aware of the feelings and perceptions and other mental states, because the body is very physical. Yeah, when you look at the body, you can see the body moving around. You can feel the body. The breath is a part of the body. We can see the breath on a cold day, 
we can smell the breath. Hopefully, not too much. <laughs> uh, you can touch the breath. You can feel the the texture and also the temperature of the breath. You can perceive the breath. So when we learn to become more aware of the body, we become more aware of the feelings and the thoughts because the mental states they are much more subtle and abstract, right? It's very difficult to use one finger and point. Where's my feeling? Where's anger? Where's sadness? Or where is um, a, a thought of discrimination? But if we become more aware of our body, we will see all of those mental states manifested in the body. So every single practice that we offer you tonight, that all of them are to train us to become aware of our own body. Which will become, you know, the sensitivity to the feelings and perceptions. We become more aware when it crashes down, such as anger, such as when we throw something on the floor, or we scream, or we go, we go on, a, on, we leave the house, and then we drive away very quickly. This is the aftermath of a anger. Uh, of a temper tantrum or something, and then we learn to be more aware when it's at its peak, and then slowly we go backward. It is like a surfer surfing backward on a wave, and the practice of mindfulness helps us to surf backward on the wave in that way. So this is very basic, but I wanted to introduce. This uh, this concept to you, so that you understand why we practice the, the 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 things that we practice. So they are not just rigid forms that we we get we adapt to, but they actually have the the meaning to that and the reasons to that. And I would like to introduce to you the first basic practice, which is the breath. Awareness of breathing. Before I come to this uh, orientation, my sister, Sister Truval, my twin, she said, "I challenge you tonight when you share the orientation. You don't use the word mindfulness, <laughs> except to define it. So let's see how well I do." <laughs> I said, "How can you do it without using that word? That is the essence of our practice. But to define that word, it means to be aware of what's going on inside of us and what is around us. That's the energy of mindfulness or the energy of self-awareness of awareness. And the breath helps us that because if you think about it, when we are at peace." We breathe differently. How do you breathe when you're at peace? How do you breathe when you're angry, when you're excited, when you're depressed? Each state of mind that we have, we breathe differently according, accordingly. So the breathing pattern is actually a physical, a physiological manifestation of our mental states. And it's very concrete, so that is why the awareness of breathing becomes the foundation of all of our practices. We learn to be aware of it as we breathe in. We learn to identify it as an in-breath. At first, you can just 
simply call it in-breath. And as you breathe out, you call it out-breath. Or in, out. We just follow our breathing as it is. We don't make it faster or slower, deeper or more shallow, just as it is. As it is is a very important practice to see things as they are, not to make them one way or the other. And slowly, as we follow our breathing, you will realize that you cannot follow more than five breaths before the mind already takes off. But that first step is to to train ourselves to be aware of our breathing. And then we're trained to follow the breathing from the beginning to the end, which is even more difficult. Many of us may be just even two breaths, one in-breath all the way through. Let's try it. From the beginning to the end, there's a pause, smile, from the beginning to the end of the out-breath. Let us listen to one sound of the bell and see how many breaths can we follow all the way through. So as we follow our breathing, we will see the state of the body, the state of the mind. We will feel the tension in the body, and we can release the tension as we breathe out. We will hear certain thoughts arising, certain feelings arising, and you can also breathe them out. Just gently smile to them and release them, relax them. And we use the sound of the bell to aid that, to aid us. When you are in the monastery, and hopefully you will carry this home, every time you hear a sound of the bell, either the bell inside the meditation hall or the big bell, the great temple bell, activity bells, all bells, and also phone, the sounds of the telephone ringing, we use them in order to come back to our breathing, to our body, in order to be in touch with what thoughts that are present in the moment, what feelings that are there, so then we become more aware of where we are at the wave, whether we're still down here or is it building up into something, you see? And so come back, coming back to the breathing is one way to heal ourselves the capacity to remove suffering. Because if the body is holding tension and we're not aware, then that tension will build up to physical illness or mental illness. When we hold on to certain feelings and we're not aware, we're not able to release and relax them, we're building up to sickness. So even though we may be feeling well, healthy and young or strong in the moment, but the tension in the body, in the feelings that we're building up and we're not aware, in that wellness, there's already the sickness that we are cultivating. 
So to be able to be aware of all this tension and just to relax and release in every moment, that is a deep act of true love. And when we are in a monastery, we have the environment, the healing environment. And I hope you will take full um, advantage of that in order to take care of the spiritual environment that I was talking about. The spiritual environment, which includes our own bodies, our feelings and perceptions and mental formations and consciousness. We take care of them. So when you hear a sound of the bell or the phone ringing, practice stopping. Just stop the talking. I, I practice, if I'm saying something, I just stop midway. I don't even try to finish the sentence because the mind just wants to go on and on. But to be able to, to stop in that moment, that is a great capacity because then when the wave is surging, can you stop? If you're not able to stop when you're calmer, when there's no problem. So that is why it's important to learn to stop in our daily life so that we can break the wave sooner and that when it's at its peak or anywhere, we can also break it, we can also stop it. So we stop the speaking, which, which is the action of the mouth. We also stop the action of the body. If you're walking, if you're carrying things, if you're doing anything, just relax and release. Put it down and come back to the body. Breathe, smile, and release. That's the action of the body. The third action is the action of the mind, which is most difficult is to stop the thinking. The mind always needs an object. It always pursues something. The past, the future, the present, with all the projects and the plans. But if we give the mind an object such as the breath, which is dynamic, which is real, which is in the here and now, when the mind can dwell in the breath, the mind stops the thinking and the feelings and the pursuit of the past and future and all the projects. So just practicing listening to a bell or the phone ringing, we can bring the body and the mind to peace. And in that moment, that is a moment of healing. See? So I just share with you the practice of listening to the bell of awareness of breathing. And now I would like to invite my brother to share um, uh, uh, a practice that is of his favorite. Do follow your breathing as you listen to our sharing. meditation hall my sister shared I think it's our first uh, uh, retreat or after the Vietnamese retreat so I'm aware that this is uh, such a wonderful space 
the end. Um, I think we are already on the path of healing. I think uh, many of us can feel that energy that our teacher has shared to create an environment for the healing. When I first uh, met the practice, uh, it, I was also uh, had a lot of stuff that I had to deal with. Uh, and the retreat for me, I didn't know why I kept crying. My teacher, when he shared this morning, if you, I mean this a little while ago, that you cry is okay. And I remember going to a, a Vietnamese retreat and just crying. I didn't know why I was crying. <laughs> just kept pouring. And I think that uh, was the beginning, the opening. And I think the, I think the retreat, that's, you know, we do all these eating, practicing, breathing, and so on. Mm. But the whole intention is for you to touch that, uh, whatever that is for you. A loved one, yourself, anxiety, in body, in your, in your mind, uh, just to uh, share. And for us to really... Uh, I'll be with that and it's okay to have that uh, I think one of the things I love about our teachers teaching uh, and practice is that we it's okay to suffer uh, and the connection between suffering and happiness uh, I think is a, a very deep teaching and very challenging teaching uh, because we always want to push the uh, suffering away or push the sickness away and we just want healing and happiness and jolly, you know, feeling good and happy. Um, but uh, my experience is uh, when I suffer, actually, I go deeper into my practice and I go deeper into the essence and the, of life, this wave that we feel connected to. And uh, as I reflect uh, all my growing up and education and and living in, in this country, I think we are trained to actually run away from our suffering and to consume and to, uh, to be environments that are uh, toxic. So I think our teacher, his uh, deepest wish is for us to create environment, to create communities like this, for us to, to, to touch that, to be okay with our suffering. I think the, also the theme of this retreat is challenging, mm -hmm. that uh, you heal yourself and you heal the world. Because there's always this little bug next to me uh, on my shoulder that say, but he's really like that. Or the world is really like that. Or that group is really like that. Or she at my office is like that. It's, you know, okay, everything is okay, but... Hmm. And that's always uh, a bug. It always says, well, you know, what can I do? Mm, but more and more I begin the training here to see that uh, uh, it's a, a way of looking. Uh, and when you can hear yourself, the way you look at the world, the way you look at the others uh, change. And the practices we do here uh, begin uh, help us uh, to begin to see that connection oneself and the world and its oneness of it and slowly the, the merging of it with you and a carrot and a broccoli with you and the other person with you and the air 
with you and your footsteps, they become more in harmony. And I think the eating, we can, uh, we can reheal our way of eating. I remember as a college student, I, I can't say I love Del Taco, but I ate it a lot. <laughs> Because it was convenient. It was bite-sized. You can gulp it. You don't have to chew it even. <laughs> you remember? Oh, well, well, anyways. Soft tacos. Very easy. You, don't even, you can chew it twice and you can have it down. And you can eat three and you'll be full. And you, don't, you got it all done. Eating is done. You just continue your work. And this is... Uh, it's, it's not a sickness, but it's... definitely close to uh, something. <laughs> An image that always helps me, that helped me kind of break out of that rhythm when I first met the practice was a mouse that kept running in a chain in a little circle and trying to reach. And that showed up in my dream s o m e t i m e uh, or the web of a spider and so on. These kind of things come up and you don't know why. In your dreams, they show up. But it's just the way our culture is. So we, in the retreat, we have a chance to heal the way we eat. Don't take advantage. Uh, don't take it for granted. I remember the first retreat, I felt like I was learning to eat again. Learning to do everything again. Because our culture has taught us differently, or trained us to react differently, or to behave differently. So when we chew, or when we pick up a piece of broccoli, pick it up with all the reverence, with all the things, all the conditions that's brought this broccoli to be on your plate. And when you chew, pay attention to the chewing. Put the chopstick, the fork, the spoon down and chew. Take your time. Nobody's rushing you. You're here. You have plenty of time to eat. You don't have your boss over you or your you know, co-workers looking at you, see how long you take in your lunch. <laughs> and so you uh, take your time and chew your food slowly. Chew it, I recommend 30-40 times until it's really soft and, and swallow it. Eat like a real human being, not like an animal running. Eat and uh, with dignity, show respect to the food and the people who prepare the food and where it came from. And the plastic plate, the bamboo chopstick. So you re-heal your connection to things. We take it for granted. Things, a spoon, oh, you use it, you throw it away. Oh, it's a plate, I can get another one. But we, we need to heal our connection again to the things that come to us that we take for granted. And this can happen in a a meal time. You can find a place and sit with your your friend. Sit with the people who are here. Recognize them. This is not the aesthetic practice. Just don't look at me. Don't smile. That's easy already. You you see that at the airport or in the elevator. (laughs) So you can get trained there easily. But here, your breath, your mindfulness 
It's not just about yourself and your practice and your food. It's your connection. The people around you, the trees. And so be aware of the community. Be aware of your friends around you when you eat. And eat without talking with your mouth and talking with your head. And you can tell when someone is uh, talking in their head. They're staring in one place. And we can gently, you know, just use our mindfulness to help bring each other back. And watch when that happens. Come back to your breath. Come back to your posture. Come back to the movement of the eating. That becomes a, a, a way to help, help us retrain this also goes with the sitting. When you sit in med- meditation hall, or you, when you walk here from your room or your tent, mm. we have habits and we need to heal our habits. And sometimes those habits can be brought into our practice. We want to come in here and practice. You know that one? <laughs> I'm going to get there and get my sitting done. And I'm going to feel peaceful. That's a great one. So the word mindfulness is dangerous, as well as the word practice. You know when, uh, when we say, okay, everyone sit up beautifully, sit up, mm, get ready, we're going to breathe, and everyone, mm, okay, I'm going to breathe mindfully. So this is, I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's okay. It's better than, you know, uh, slacking. <laughs> but be careful. It's just, it's very, uh, very, uh, a subtle thing. And, and for those who've been around the practice, you, maybe you'll be aware that there's three breaths that you can take consciously. You go, deep breath, and you consciously follow. And you actually put effort in that. But there's another breath that takes you uh, deeper and it's more sustaining. It's just the gentle, natural breath. And the difference is the awareness of it. So be careful of our effort, of our grasping. That also needs to be healing, to be healed. We know that one, the one that jerks and reacts, that wants, that grasps. This is a very dangerous uh, uh, attitude. So here, let it go. Move from your tent, do what you need to do to come here and gently come in. Sit, find a place. Sit. And just for sitting, there's no to attain or to get anything from the sitting. And the sitting will be guided, some of the sittings will be guided, others will be in silence. And find your space, find your cushion, and uh, be at ease. And so remove this uh, uh, effort. Uh, too much effort uh, can get you a little sick. So here the healing is also creating that attitude, that environment for yourself uh, in the sitting. And waking up as well. Please give your time, uh, enough time to wake up. Uh, like a human being and, uh, and don't let the alarm uh,
trigger those habits that you have. So wake up earlier and gently uh, lay in your bed a little bit. Okay, so retrain the way you wake up. That makes, needs healing. I remember how I used to wake up and boy, <laughs> it's quite, uh, 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 you, know, you just want to get out of the house and get to the, uh, whatever you need to do. That jumping out of the bed. Uh, so wake up like a free and decent human being. Wake up, turn to your side, take a few breaths, take off, you know, put your feet uh, on the floor, sit on your bed, and really feel that moment of like, wow, the mind's starting to be aware. This beautiful moment, that transition of like, and then kind of like, you see? And that slowly becomes a wonderful habit. And that changes a lot of things. Especially how you use a restroom and the toothbrush, these little details. So our practice here is uh, uh, mindfulness in continuous, as much as possible. So it's not uh, in the meditation hall is where you, you do the practice of mindfulness. But it starts continual, and it's con- actually continuous if possible. But of course, we're part-time practitioner. So there are points where you don't, you know, like you drive and you don't know how you got there sometimes. It's okay, but at least when you got to the doorknob of this meditation hall, you're aware of it, right? It's helpful. You don't remember, you know, your steps, but you open. So every moment that you are mindful of, you kind of make anchor and put flag there. Those become really important. How you open the door, how you take off your coat, how you take off your shoes. What does this have to do with my healing, taking off my shoes? When I use a young, I fling my shoe when I come in the house. It's a kind of jerk reaction. And I realize that's a connection and how I talk back to my parents. It's very linked to that way of kind of like, mm, get out of my way. And so when I began to train to put my two shoes down, Nice, in the spot that I, I begin to see my mind, how it reacts, and see how I perceive things. So eating, sitting, waking up, these are all chances for us to uh, uh, touch uh, a healing in our body, in our our mind. And these things are are very, uh, uh, so don't look for the big healing, because there's no pure healing. You're always going to be half sick and half uh, not sick. <laughs> You're always in the process of healing, like Sister Dangim shared. We are dying, we are aging, we are, I'm probably getting a new sickness now, but I am also healing. <laughs> my liver is changing and my cells are dying. And these are the things that we're going to uh, touch on, I think, during this retreat. Uh, so I'd share... Uh, a little bit with uh, some of my favorite practices and maybe Sister Dee can uh, continue.
So one day, two friends, old friends, see each other, and then one asks the other, how are you doing? And um, the friend said, I couldn't sleep last night. You know, I had this really bad toothache. I, I couldn't sleep all night. Does it ever happen to you? And the other friend said, well, I don't sleep with my teeth. So as my brother was sharing about eating meditation, be happy you have teeth to chew, <laughs> that, that we still go to sleep without teeth. And also be happy when we wake up and have teeth to brush. Somewhere along the line, as I grow older, I learn to appreciate my teeth more. And so when I brush my teeth very often, I say, thank you for being there. Please hang on with me for another day. <laughs> And if I keep asking like that every day, they may stay until I'm in my, hopefully, 70s. <laughs> so, just to be able to appreciate the small things that we have. When we are sick also, we, um, we tend to focus on the things that, are, that we're losing, or the things that are dysfunctional. But to be able to see that we still have the things that are still there, that can help us to have energy to, to heal. Um, I um, contracted Lyme disease, neuro-Lyme, uh, about two years ago, and um, it caused many cognitive dysfunctions, such as speech and writing, and even swallowing reflux, and uh, memory and concentration. So I wanted to... I was so afraid to lose those things. I worked so hard for them. And, uh, and there was this deep despair. And thanks to the practice that I learned to recognize all of these thoughts, these symptoms, these signs in myself, in the body, in the thoughts, the feelings, and learn to breathe with them and just relax them instead of letting them overwhelm me. The Buddha taught about the second arrow. When you shoot into your body, for example, your arm, the first arrow, that's very painful. But if we shoot the second arrow into the same wound site, the pain will not only double, but it will multiply by many folds. And so the second arrow is our despair, our fear, our rejection, our denial. And so in our daily life, if we learn to be aware of our body and our thoughts and feelings and learn to relax them, to release them, to smile with them, to embrace them as they are, but not to get lost in them. Lost in the waves, it's already a part of healing. It's a very important part of healing, not to wound ourselves further and not to take away the energy that we're able to, to reserve and to, to heal. So one night I had a dream, and in the dream I was talking to a, a young woman, and she had long blonde hair, and then I saw a little bug in her hair, and I gently flicked it, but it didn't budge, so I flicked it again, and it was still there, so I flicked it really hard, and it flew off really far, 
And then I felt bad in my dream. I said to her, "You know that tick, it can kill you." And in that moment, I was very serious. But then, out of the corner of my eye, I saw the tick, which looked like a plum worm, and it was green, and it was walking. At, it was at the entrance of a forest. But before it walked into the forest, it turned sideways like this. It looked at me and it winked at me. <laughs> And I thought it was so funny. I actually laughed, and I said, "Well, it's not that bad." I actually said to myself because just a moment before that, I said, "This tick can kill you," and then I just had to chuckle at my own fear. And when I woke up, an insight came to me. One was that every time I took medic medicine, I would breathe and smile, and I would visualize this little green worm winking at me. And it gave me this feeling of peace, and I realized that I didn't have to destroy all the bacteria in my bloodstream or in my brain in order to heal. But actually, all I need to do is to live in harmony, to embrace what is, and to take care of what I still have, including the all the bacteria in me, just to be in harmony. And that just switched. My attention, my intention, and the way I care for myself, and also the bacteria in me, about the, the of the Lyme disease. So that's a, that's a very deep practice. If we talk about healing, and in there it also includes the practice of deep relaxation. We hold tension a lot. Earlier, I was sharing about the tension in the body and also in the feelings. When you have a thought or a feeling, or we believe it with all of our mighty, and we we fight for it, and we would sacrifice our love, our loved ones, in order to be correct, to be right. But to be able to just relax, release, and let go—it's a very deep practice. And to me, healing is right there. Happiness is right there of not getting something, obtaining something, or being right, but actually to be able to just release it, to relax it, to let it go. So the practice of deep relaxation can take place any time and all the time. As the breath, at first when we practice, we listen to the bell or the phone ringing to come back to the breathing. But slowly, your breathing becomes the bell of awareness. Yeah, it brings you back to yourself, and you just breathe, and then you become aware that you are not paying attention. In that moment, you are aware. So just come back to it again and again, and learn to just relax the body throughout the day. Relax the hands. We often make into fists like this, you know, with our toes. If you notice. With our back, with our shoulders, we hold such tension in the body. And if we have that much of tension in the body, imagine how much tension there is in our mental states. So, if we learn to relax the body, it is also relaxing the the, the mind, the thoughts and the perceptions and the attitudes, etc. So, the practice of deep relaxation is also very important. I also would like to share with you um, when my brother talk about eating, all meals will be in silence. 
All three meals we will eat in silence. And when we stand in line, also practice silence to be aware of how hungry we are, how grateful we are, how anxious we are that we will be standing in line for such a long time. (laughs) And just smile and release the tension in that anxiety or anticipation. Breakfast, we we serve ourselves, we sit down and we begin to eat. And there will be bells every 15 minutes and we just gently put down the plates, everything, and just breathe three times. In breath, our breath, one. In breath, our breath, two. In breath, our breath, three. And then we can continue. It just trains us to come back and to just release whatever we're doing. At lunch and dinner, we will have the five contemplations. So do, when you serve the food, just sit down and just enjoy. Enjoy the company around us. Enjoy looking at the food in front of us. Give rise to gratitude. Our brothers and sisters, we often join our palms and we give gratitude before we get the food and also before we eat. Gratitude brings happiness. Gratitude for what is brings a lot of healing. Instead of feeling that we have not enough or we have lost so much, we become aware that we still have more, more than we can ever imagine. Okay, so dinner also wait for three sounds of the bell and also for the five contemplations. And to me, being aware of what... I'm avoiding using that word, you see... To be aware that we're eating, practicing eating meditation is actually the best way to be on a diet. I'm sure you have tried all the different diet fats, right? But this eating meditation is a long-lasting way of keeping aware, um, keeping our weight in, uh, 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 like, not fluctuating so much but also to be able to enjoy the food deeply and not to have to starve ourselves in order to be at a certain weight or something. I would like to share about electronic. Uh, Electronic, recently they have a hospital in Pennsylvania to treat electronic addiction. (laughs) Have you heard of that? Electronic addiction, yes. And this program... You go in there, you have like up to 10 days of not using the electronics at all. And you can actually get prescribed medication (laughs) when you have withdrawal symptoms. (laughs) I think many of us will be qualified for this. (laughs) So when we are here, do take advantage of this wonderful environment to put away our electronic gadgets. Give it to me. Yes, well, we don't want to. <laughs> you know, put the phones away, or if they are really important, just make a certain time you use the phones or check your phones, but don't always carry around and always have this stress response, fight, flight, or freeze response every time you hear the phone ringing. See? So just put them aside, and when you hear the phone ringing from somebody else, just breathe and smile and heal ourselves, okay? 
cameras, laptops, iPads, iPods, all of those things. They cause addiction. And please don't use the phones or the cameras in the meditation hall. Now we have the my brother talk about sitting meditation already, and um, we have we still have the practice of working meditation and noble silence. Perhaps you would like to share working meditation. very lucky to have a chance to do working meditation. Some retreats, uh, uh, we don't have that chance. And you think it's like, oh, it's pity, but it's a wonderful practice because you actually get to uh, see your habits more closely. Because during working uh, activities, your, our habits uh, come up very strong. And this is from all our friends who have shared with us and also from our own experience when we work and when we organize and we travel together as monastics. Also, in the service, in the working, uh, things come up. Our wounded child comes up. Our father comes up. Our mother comes up. All this stuff, the way we've been trained and cultured comes up. And so uh, uh, when you work, we relax and try not to... uh, there will be guidance from a brother or sister or a work, uh, work uh, coordinator in your group who uh, hopefully will uh, help uh, gather the energy so you have a collective uh, uh, awareness that you're working together as a family. And that's a wonderful uh, aid to help us not uh, be in our habitual uh, things, uh, working habit. Follow our breath and pay attention to the action and to the movement whatever that is, whether that's washing the pot or washing the plate or washing the kitchen or mopping or cleaning the toilets, uh, moving the cushion. We have different responsibility during this uh, retreat. And it's wonderful to work together as a family. And you might like as a family to gather before and after to sing a song. So you work with that kind of collective support as a team. And that's a, a, a very healing way to, to connect to others. You don't have to talk. Uh, try to work as, uh, train your intuition and to work together as a team and to feel what is needed to be done rather than to ask all the time. But to train yourself to walk in a room and kind of know where you need to be or where is lacking or where you need to adjust. And that's a wonderful uh, way to train because you become aware not only of what your body but also in its relationship to others. Um, and pay attention to this uh, uh, wanting to get done. You don't have to do it slow like a snail. Do it naturally, just like the breath. Let it be natural. Don't force anything, even to force slow mindfulness. But do whatever the pace is. And even try to do something fast without rushing. Do something quick. Uh, So it's for us to experiment, to to train, so that the body is relaxed and your mind is relaxed. It's not filled with anxiety. Mm, So that's working. Uh, And many things, you have many uh, uh, 
moment and people uh, have claimed to be enlightened by it. They realize a lot about themselves, about their fathers and mothers, and very important uh, things that help them heal. So don't underestimate that. Uh, so put really put your whole attention, your whole practice into the work uh, when you gather. Mm. In terms of uh, noble silence, is uh, it's a wonderful uh, practice uh, that helped me heal and to uh, understand more of, of my own wound as a child uh, in Vietnam, in the war, and my father. And that is uh, the, when we were in the monastery, at first this, my brothers were practicing and, and I began to adopt that practice. We used to wear a noble silence on our, our chest uh, to help our brothers not to speak to us. Mm. It's a practice of mm, listening to ourselves, uh, of uh, following our breath, our steps. Uh, noble silence is uh, not, uh, we're so used to our thinking being on. Our teacher called it the NST radio, NST radio, non stop thinking radio. It's always on in our head. And he introduced it uh, one winter retreat. And for us to turn that off while we eat, while we walk, and even during this retreat, the thinking is so habitual that we think uh, it's useful. It's, you know, sometimes it's useful, but it's always on. So noble silence is actually walking from here back to your room and paying attention to your step. Sometimes the thinking... When you're thinking, you don't, you're not aware, you're not present to the moment, to life that is happening. The stars, the grass, the fresh air of the evening. We're able to use the whole body to sense and to intuit and feel the life that's happening. But most of the time we're caught in our thinking. So noble silence is that. So it's not just about not speaking. It's about really being in touch being present in our body, being present on this planet, feeling the moon. Do you know where the moon is? Do you know where the moon is? Do you know where the stars are? Where the sun is? So noble silence, when we're, we practice the non-thinking, we're able to be more alive and to be aware of these things that are happening besides our thinking. In the evening, uh, after uh, each activity, uh, we go right into noble silence. So we walk back to our room, to our tent. We try our best to stop that thinking and to come back to the rhythm of the evening, to, of nature, of the animals, the plants, and other energies besides our, uh, our thoughts. So we do what we need to do in the restroom, bathroom, pull our bed, prepare and it lasts to, I think, uh, after, is it after lunch? after lunch? Yes, after lunch. So we maintain that as much as we can until we after uh, eating and we wash our dishes. Um, so that's a, a, a wonderful practice that can help you uh, discover many things uh, about your, your own body and mind. Very important uh, for the healing process. I just want to share one last thing. How many of you have a wart? 
Do you have a word? A word? Yeah? Uh, smile to your word. Yeah. I had a word on my hand right here uh, that uh, I always wanted to get rid of. And it was with me for like years, I think like maybe 10 years. And I, I tried banana, I tried uh, banana skin, and I tried... I, I never wanted to try the chemical, but it was always uh, a kind of bug in my, uh, in, in my mind. I was like, oh, because it? it's always there, you know. You know, when you're sleeping or it hits your... Mm. And one day, I woke up and uh, I remember that I had a wart. And I looked at my hand and I was looking for it. And I swear, I thought, I swear I knew I had a wart, but what happened to my wart? And I, and I, I, I knew it was here, but it's completely gone. And I, I go, did I imagine all these years that, that I had a wart? Because how can it just disappear after many years of continually debating whether I should get rid of my wart? It's, it's strange, isn't it? But uh, I miss my wart. I do. Um... And it's, I think it's part of my healing. It's very, uh, uh, sometimes there's somebody in our life that we, uh, uh, that kind of bugs us. Mm. Someone we avoid. Mm. Someone we, uh, we don't want to write to or talk to. Mm. We shut them out. Mm. And we all have that. We have that with ourselves as well. It's that we all have a wound. And we have to be very uh, mindful, very uh, compassionate to these, uh, uh, these elements that we think are our warts or are things that we don't want. And I think uh, they have something to teach us, uh, the connection between our happiness I also like wounds. I was just cut with a plastic, a sharp plastic. And I like to get wounded sometimes, accidentally, sometimes mindlessly. And I've trained myself not to react to it negatively because it has something to teach us. To, it keeps me aware that, oh, I have a wound. I should keep the environment healthy so that it can heal. And I think the watching a wound heal is wonderful. If you ever get wounded, don't try to rush the healing process. Watch that as it scabs, as it pus, as it get hardens, don't pick at it. Don't rush it. Because you'll bleed again. You know that one. We do that ourselves psychologically all the time. We keep picking at it. But enjoy your wound as it heals because our body is a miracle it's beautiful when you have some, a pain a stomach ache enjoy your stomach ache because it's going to go away <laughs> so you begin to you lay down when you have a fever and enjoy the fever so these are, uh, are things I've learned about my body and it's helped me 
learn about Maya, accepting my father, my culture, my country, and the things that are still in my consciousness that I'm learning more and more about through this practice. Please don't push it away. Please don't rush it. Embrace it. And uh, yeah, almost enjoy it. And Thay recently has been teaching on the tour to, to learn to suffer, to be with it. And I think that's a very deep teaching. Uh, I don't hear anybody saying, learn how to suffer. But it's a very, uh, it's a woke, it's waking me up uh, to that. Uh, learning how to heal is learning also how to suffer or how to be sick. As a, uh, don't rush it. Really accept that process, so the noble silence can help us touch that, mm, that deeper aspect of healing. Mm, that is not really taught and trained in our culture. The medicine hospital is, is to rush us through sickness. So I invite you uh, for this retreat to uh, mm, enjoy being with your sickness. And to accept it as it uh, as it is. Thank you, uh, dear friends, for being with us. Walking, yes. You want to do that? Yes. One practice that I would like to cover is uh, walking meditation. We have walking meditation every day uh, to get, um, together as a community, but also we can practice walking meditation on our own throughout the day. And walking meditation is also a very healing practice for us because as my brother was sharing earlier that we can go from one place to another and we have no idea how we got there because the whole time the mind has been thinking so the body just takes care of itself automatically so to be able to be aware that we are walking that we still have feet to walk it's actually a miracle and it can bring a lot of joy so the practice of walking meditation So standing up, I'm aware that I'm standing up. That's the practice of awareness of the body in the body, in my own body. And if I take a left foot, I'm aware that I'm taking a left foot. A step with the left foot. And I take another step with the right foot, and I'm aware. In Chinese character, the word walking han is left foot, right foot literally walking left foot right foot we can have uh, many degrees some of us have two three degrees and we know a whole lot but most of the time we're not aware that we're walking (laughs) so this is very deep practice 
So just to be able to be aware that we are walking, to feel the contact of the feet on the ground. When we are angry, we walk differently. When you were a child, did it ever happen to you, your father or your mother came home and just hearing their footsteps, just hearing the way they slammed the door, you know they're angry and you're afraid. And you would go into your room or go to the closet or go to the bathroom and you would avoid, avoid them. Just to hear their footsteps, you know it's better to stay out of their way. So... Often when we walk, we rush, and we walk very um, violently. Actually, we put a lot of force. But if you are aware, if you have a knee injury or an ankle injury, if you walk like that, what does it feel like? It's very painful, right? So that's when you learn to take very gentle steps. But in our daily life, every time when we take such harsh steps, we put down a force on Mother Earth and the opposite force goes into ourselves with the opposite direction but the same amount of force goes into our body. All of that harshness goes back into our body. So to learn to be able to walk gently on Mother Earth with a lot of tenderness and awareness and love, that's healing ourselves and healing Mother Earth. When we walk, a lot of time when we don't have anything to do, we still rush. It's not because you are busy that you rush. You also rush when you have nothing to do. On a vacation or on a rest day, you still rush. So learn here, we learn to do walking meditation everywhere we go. And it helps not to speak and walk at the same time. And it helps to walk slowly at first so that later you can walk faster, you can jog, you can run, and still you are aware of your steps. And when we walk, we can also coordinate with the breathing. For example, if I breathe in, I can take two steps. And I breathe out, I can take two steps. Or three steps. It depends. Depends on your state of health, depends on, you know, at that moment, how you are in your body and in your mind. But just to be able to bring the mind back to the feet and to the breath, the mind has a place to anchor. Do that even such a short distance, going to the toilet, going to a coffee machine or a copy machine, anywhere we go. If you practice walking meditation, you're, act, you're actually practicing noble silence because you're walking, but the mind is stopping. The mind is resting in the here and now. The mind is resting in your body. That's noble silence. When you breathe and you let go of your thoughts and you become one with your breath, that is noble silence. So noble silence can take place very often throughout the day and it gives us deep rest deep respite and deep healing. So because it's already nine, five, something, let us enjoy three sounds of the bell before we um, have some announcements. <laughs>